podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion and welcome back to episode 5 of the mini series that I have been doing where I have been talking about all of the brand new cars for 2024 as and when they break cover. And in these episodes, of course, if you are new to this particular series or new to the podcast, um, I talk about the car liveries themselves, what I think of them, my thoughts on whether I like them or not. And I know we've seen quite a lot of carbon-based liveries, so it has been quite difficult to really give an honest opinion on those because some look great and some not so much. But I also talk about the detail of some of these cars, what has changed from what we can see on either the renders or what we see during the launch specs that may give us a clue as to what the teams are trying to achieve ahead of a big 2024 season. And of course, we have a little bit of reflection on 2023 and a look ahead to what we can hope and expect from these teams in 2024. So far, if you have been following episodes one to four, you know that I've covered the Haas F1 car for 2024. I've also covered the Williams, the Stake F1 car, whatever name that's going to be over the course of the season remains to be seen if you've been keeping an eye on the news surrounding that particular controversy. And last but not least, we've covered the Alpine. In today's episode, we are going to be covering the VCARB 01, or to put it longly, the Visa Cash App Red Bull 01, although... Red Bull insisted that the RB does not stand for Red Bull. It stands for Racing Bulls or something like that. I'm sure they'll confirm that all the same later on. But for now, I think we're just going to refer to them as VCARB or RB just to keep things simple. And the first thing I want to talk about with this new car is what a pleasant surprise it was to wake up this morning, have a look at the live launch that was done in Las Vegas. And the livery looks brilliant. Now, I don't want to say that it's absolutely stunning or it's magnificent or it's the greatest thing ever. Hang it in the Louvre. I don't I don't buy into that so much. But I think given that we've seen quite a lot of livery launches, I think almost every car that we've seen so far, and I'll include McLaren in this too, they've all been very carbon based and a lot of the colour is being stripped away from these cars. I think there's only one team that I've seen so far that have done this and it looks pretty good. And I think that's the state car at the moment with, you know, the carbon based delivery. But of course, they've got the green highlighter stripes running around accenting on the car. That looks great. But this car looks absolutely fantastic. It's the best livery that we've seen by a mile so far this season. And if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But I'll try and describe it as best as I can. It's very reminiscent of what we saw from Toro Rosso, which was one of the former identities of this team back during 2017 to 2019. They had that metallic, dark, purpley kind of blue base with the chrome writing. There's quite a bit of white and red at certain points in this car, and I think that's to do with highlighting their core responses like Orlan and, and Hugo, for example. I think Hugo Boss, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but it's on the car. It kind of looks a little bit like um, the wrapping on a crunch bar. I think I said this on social media. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, especially if you're from the UK, you'll know what a crunch bar looks like. It's a bit like that. 
but it looks great. I, I really, really enjoyed seeing this. It would definitely was work, uh, worth waking up early to, to see. And thank goodness that we are not going to have a grid with 10 cars that are completely carbon-based in terms of the delivery. Of course, there is some of that on this car, but it's predominantly that bluey, purpley, metallic colour as the foundation. Now, I know a lot of people were saying, well, maybe it's just for the sake of the launch and we'll see the real livery on the car be much more carbon-based as the season starts. I certainly hope that's not the case, but I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. But I'd be very surprised if they did that, knowing that this is a huge launch. They've got huge corporate sponsors buying into this team for this season, taking over from what was formerly Alpha Tauri. So there's no reason to try and put on some sort of a facade where the car looks completely different when it turns up for racing as it does during the launch. It makes absolutely no sense to do that. So hopefully this livery stays on the car throughout the season because I think it looks great compared to the competition so far. Talking about the detail on the car, and this is quite significant because on the renders, there wasn't too much that I noticed. Um, so I really had to rely on one or two things that I'd noticed and more so the expertise of some people that actually know what they're talking about. It allows me to you know, go back and have a look and say, oh yeah, they've done this and find out what that's related to that I'll try and relay back to you guys. So bear with me on this one. Um, and, and this is quite important based on what VCarb are trying to do this season and why that may be a little bit controversial in the eyes and the perspective of some of their rivals for this season. But of course, I will get into why that is significant. So the first thing I noticed, which doesn't surprise me because everybody seems to be going down this route now, they've switched to the pull rod on the front suspension. Now, no prizes for guessing, very similar to what Red Bull have done. Um, so obviously, you know, we don't need to talk about why that's significant. Red Bull have clearly mastered the suspension side of things. So everybody's converging on that particular path. The side pod inlets on the car, um, the, the undercut area that we've talked about on a few of these cars this season where the bottom inlet is, is quite exposed to direct the airflow in that direction. That is on that car. Quite a few cars have done that, to be honest. It's very reminiscent of what we saw on the RB19 in particular. So, yeah, everybody seems to be copying that. That that seems to be the way to go right now. There was a bit of an outer bulge on the side pod as well. And uh, the wide valley area that was on the top surface of the side pod as well, it was quite wide. And I wasn't quite sure what that was related to, why that is significant. I had to reach out to a friend of mine that knows quite a bit more about F1 cars than I do. And from what he's told me, that's to do with managing what they call radiator spillage at high speeds. And the objective of this is just to minimise the negative effect that it would have on the surfaces of the car that produce all the downforce. So obviously that, that seems to be a good thing by the sounds of it. And uh, obviously that's a good upgrade for them. I did notice the outer floor edge is quite a bit different to what we've seen on the other cars. Now, I'm imagining that all of the teams during the launch spec will not reveal what their floors are going to be like until they start racing for real. So, you know, you've got to take this with a pinch of salt when I talk about the details of the floor. But I noticed the outer floor edge is quite different to what we've seen so far on some of the other cars. And it seems to curve up as well at the edge of it, which is quite interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what that is for or if it's just a fake floor and we see a completely different one. We'll have to wait and see. But it is quite different to what we've seen so far, not just on the cars for 2024, but also other cars in previous years with these Grand Effect era. So that's quite interesting. The nose of the car is quite narrow compared to what we saw last year. It was a bit bulgy and a bit uh, platypus-like, if you if you want. 
very different to what we see, saw from the Alpine when I covered that in yesterday's episode. And uh, that is quite interesting. I- interestingly enough, there's no slot gap between the the nose of the car and also the front pane on the front wing. That's been closed off, which is very different to what we saw on the 2023 Red Bull car. So maybe there's a bit of distinction there. Of course, we'll have to wait and see what happens when the Red Bull um, does testing because we know what Red Bull are going to do. They're just going to paint an updated livery on the 2023 car. So I don't think we can draw too many conclusions onto that yet. But I believe that the reason for this is that it looks like V-Carb are trying to distribute the airflow to the side of the car rather than it flowing underneath and straight to the floor. So there's a different approach going on there. Again, We'll have to wait and see if they stick to that during pre-season testing or the first race because, you know, a car is the sum of its parts. There's no one specific change that's going to be groundbreaking or really set the trend. The whole car has to be designed with that in mind. So it'll be very interesting to see how that works overall. But those were the, the changes that I noticed on the render and a few that were sort of pointed out that I had to kind of look back at again and find when the experts were having a look at it. So it all looks pretty good. Now, the reason why this is all rather interesting, and there's a huge emphasis going on about the relationship between VCarb and Red Bull, in its entirety, since the Red Bull brand bought Minardi uh, years ago, I think it was talking, what, 2006, I believe it was, when they first debuted as Toro Rosso, um, there's always been questions about the relationship between those two teams to a point where a lot of people in the F1 community, including some team principals, believe that this is pretty much Red Bull's second team. It's not just a junior team or a sister team. And we've seen existing relationships in the past with the likes of Ferrari and Haas and their relationship and Ferrari and Sauber. There were times where Mercedes and Williams were rumored to have similar relationships. This one is very different in the sense that they're not necessarily customer teams or this team is not necessarily a customer team of Red Bull. It operates within the same remit. So there's always been that scrutiny over the legitimacy of it or whether this is permitted within the rules. This season, there seems to be more scrutiny coming their way because there are concerns that some other team bosses have raised that effectively Red Bull are now running four cars. And as a result of that, there will be a lot of technology shared The relationship will be very, very close. And whilst technically it's not illegal or outside the regulations, there has been a huge push. I think Zach Brown has been very vocal on this amongst others, not to name him out, but he's the one that springs to mind that's been very vocal on this relationship. He um, and others are of the opinion that the FIA need to, you know, create new legislations or they've been lobbying them to create stricter regulations to prevent this relationship from becoming so close to a point where Red Bull are effectively running four cars. And look, we know how good Red Bull are right now. If they were to run four cars that were completely identical, uh, identical, I should say, there's a good chance that almost every single race, the entire podium or the top four spots are going to be locked out by the four drivers in those cars. Obviously, we don't want that in F1. We want to see everybody having a fair chance and everyone having a fair crack at it. Um, So it will be quite interesting to see how that goes. This has also been coupled as well by some of the personnel changes within the team, and I'll go through some of those in a minute. Um, But one thing that is significant is this RB unit, V-Card, whatever you want to call it, they're actually going to be moving to a new facility in the UK or, or in Milton Keynes on the Red Bull campus. So that kind of strengthens the argument that some of the teams are making that perhaps this relationship is getting too close for comfort. 
and that perhaps the FIA and F1 need to step in on this. It's going to be a big year for this team. Personnel changes starting, obviously, the most important of those. Lauren Meeks, formerly of Ferrari, now joins as the new team principal. He's replacing Franz Tost, who has been absolutely integral to this team's development over the years. And obviously, we're all going to miss him and hope he has a happy retirement. But it's a huge opportunity for Lauren Meeks to really stamp his authority on this team and really make a significant footprint on the F1 hierarchy and on the grid as a new team principal. Formerly of this team, many, many years ago. So obviously it's a bit of a homecoming for him and I wish him well. It's a big job, but I'm sure he's very motivated and very up to the task of trying to get this team to where it was probably in some stages of the 2020 season where, you know, they were a regular challenger for podiums and I'm sure they do have expectations to try and get into that position again. I mean, we saw the jump Aston Martin made last season. We saw the jump McLaren made throughout last season. It's certainly possible if you make a big enough step and get the steps right and, you know, aligning themselves closer to Red Bull, even though they want to maintain their own unique identity, it's certainly not a bad way to go, given how we've seen Red Bull be in the last few years. Um, other personal changes that they've made, Tim Goss, the former FIA uh, technical director, he's now the new chief technical officer at VCARB, um, Guilherme uh, Catalani, I believe, Catalani, apologies if I've mispronounce that he's now the new deputy technical director formerly of Red Bull as well so there's a lot of changes going on there of former Red Bull staff getting involved it's really beefing up the personnel within that team Alan Pomain a name that you may be familiar with formerly at Alpine was at the Enstone outfit ever since the Benetton days that's how long he's been in the sport for so a very experienced and very highly sought after individual in the sport he's going to be joining the team so that's a massive coup for them will it be to the expense of Alpine we'll have to wait and see but it's a team that is very much going in the right direction at this point in time the car looks to be quite an upgrade on what we've had in the past and you know it's it's a good step forward. How big a step we'll have to wait and see. The personnel seems to be slotting in quite well. Now we come to the drivers. And I think this is quite an interesting part because we've got Daniel Ricciardo and we've got Yuki Tsunoda. Now, I want to start with Ricciardo. I think a lot of interest is going to be on what Daniel Ricciardo does in the 2024 season. Let's not forget right now at the senior Red Bull team, We've got Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. We know Max is locked down for a long time. Perez seems to be in that position like Valtteri Bottas was at Mercedes where his future is being scrutinised and questioned every single year. Now, whilst Perez hasn't been in that position where he's literally driving for his next contract every season, we are at that point now where it does seem realistic to suggest that he probably won't be in that Red Bull seat in 2025, although I'm of the opinion he probably will be, but we'll have to wait and see how that all pans out. Ricardo has been touted as the driver that is currently most likely to step into that seat in 2025. So this is a big year for him. And, th and this has come about long before he stepped in to replace Nick DeVries halfway through the season last year. Uh, he did that Red Bull test at Silverstone and, and Christian Horner was talking about all the really quick times that Ricardo did. I think he mentioned that Ricardo would either matched or beat the pole position time uh, during uh, the, the British Grand Prix a couple of weeks after it actually happened, trying to really hype him up before he joined the AlphaTauri team last season. And, you know, overall, I didn't think Daniel did too bad of a job. Um, it was a lot of pressure on him because, you know, he had a tough season at McLaren before 
He uh, left his seat a year early when McLaren bought him out of his contract to get Piastri in. He was very motivated to try and right some wrongs in his own mind and and really show people that the old Daniel Ricciardo, the one that was being linked with Ferrari and potentially described as a potential world champion. And he wants to get back to that level, the real honey badger in him trying to get out and really showcase that he has still got what it takes to be a top driver in Formula One. There's absolutely no reason in my mind why he can't do that here. I think this is a good environment for him. There's a good team. He's very familiar with the Red Bull outfit. He seems a lot happier here at this point in time. And there is that proverbial uh, proverbial golden carrot of that seat at Red Bull in 2025. He was very much uh, hampered, of course, by his injury when he had uh, that broken wrist after the crash in Zambort. Really hampered his progress. But I think when he came back, he was pretty good. I don't think it was amazing. I think he was quite decent, though. He certainly wasn't letting the side down by any stretch and he was very much on pace with his teammate Yuki Tsunoda. So it will be a big year for Daniel. Um, You know, Daniel commented on this during the launch and he said that, you know, come Bahrain, there's nothing left on the table. There's no, ah, we're still trying to figure this out. I can't predict where we're going to finish, but from a preparation point of view, there's no more questions. And I think he's right. There is nowhere for a lot of these teams to hide. There's certainly nowhere for him to hide. If he has an injury-free season, and that sounds mad talking about Formula One because, you know, it is a thing. But if he's able to have a full season where he can showcase what he can do, he can really give Red Bull a headache over their prospects for 2025. Would they keep Perez? Do they put Ricardo in that seat? There was a story coming out this morning that apparently Alex Albon has been offered the opportunity of first refusal at the Red Bull seat in 2026. So... Maybe Red Bull are thinking ahead here. Maybe Red Bull are thinking, well, we could have Perez in this car in 25. We could have Ricardo in this car in 2025. So nothing seems to be set in stone yet, but Red Bull seem to be covering all angles and all bases to make sure they have the right driver in that car. So it's a big year for Daniel. As for Yuki Tsunoda, it's a big year for him, but for different reasons. Now, whilst Yuki Tsunoda seems to be out of the equation as far as Red Bull seem to be concerned over driving in that car in 2025 and beyond, I think of the Red Bull drivers, excluding Max Verstappen, of course, he was probably the most impressive. He outclassed Nick DeVries, no doubt about that. Obviously, he was going to have the edge on Liam Lawson because Lawson was only going to be there for a few races. And look, Lawson's probably going to be in that car in 2025 anyway, so we ain't got to worry about that so much. But I would go out on a limb and saying that he was probably even more impressive than Daniel Ricciardo. Even though all the cameras and all the spotlight was on Danny Rick, and you know naturally, I think Danny Rick was always going to be at a disadvantage because he come in halfway, he had an injury, so it was almost like two comebacks, and there was an expectation he has to be on it right away. It's never going to happen. Sonoda, on the other hand, very calm last season. I think his experience is starting to show, and I think he was very impressive last season. I thought he was going to flop last season. He didn't. I think he, I didn't, I don't think he excelled, but I think he was quite impressive and was a huge part as to why AlphaTauri sprung up the championship standings to finish where they did when they were lackluster right at the bottom. He brought them up and they were very close to snatching P7 off of Williams. Um, And Sonoda obviously blames himself for that, but I would say it's more down to the fact that he was very good rather than the mistakes he made that they finished in seventh rather or finished in eighth, I should say, rather than finishing lower than that. So big season for both of those drivers. I'm expecting them to both be good. If the car is good, and bear in mind if they've aligned themselves with Red Bull quite a lot and taken a lot of the, the, the mechanical parts that they would have used within the regulations, of course, we can't go beyond that. 
and those proved to be quite significant in terms of a performance upgrade, then there's absolutely no reason why this V-Carb 01 car that they're calling it is going to be as fast as she is beautiful. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes down. But let me know your thoughts, guys. I know there was quite a lot there of explaining, and hopefully that kind of all made sense to you guys. But let me know your thoughts about this car. Do you love it as much as I do? I think it's by far the best car that we've seen so far, but we'll have to wait and see how it holds up as the season goes on. And let me know your thoughts about what you're expecting from VCarb in their first season under a new brand and also the Red Bull Links as well. But we're at the halfway point now. I hope that you've enjoyed these solo episodes from me. I hope they've been okay. It's a little bit different to what we normally do. So, you know, bear with me on this. I'm trialing this out, but hopefully it's been all right so far. Next week, of course, we're going to be talking about the next half of the grid. The big hitters are all unveiling their 2024 challenges. Of course, we've got Aston Martin. We've got Ferrari to come. We've got McLaren and Mercedes on the same day. And then last but not least, it will be all finalized at the end of next week by the reigning defending champions red bull probably going to get the 2023 car from them on top of the new livery but we'll have to wait and see how that all goes down as always if you have enjoyed what we do make sure to leave us a like or follow us on your favorite pod platform and make sure if you haven't already please leave us a five star review it really does help us out a lot and it gets the show out to many more f1 fans like yourself so it really does help us so please can well please spare us a five star review if you can I think that's all I really want to say on that one. But until next time, guys, we will be back on Monday with a brand new episode where I'll be talking with F1 journalist Sam Cooper about the final episode in another series that we've done, which is about the challenges for Red Bull. We've already covered Aston Martin, McLaren and Mercedes. In this episode, we finalise that mini-series off by talking about Ferrari. So until next time, guys, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning in as always. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.